to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding The scripture reading for today is found in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 12 to 14. In the Pew Bible, one can find it on page 943. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. I think John was the appropriate person to read that passage. (laughs) Thank you, John. (laughs) I hope you have this uh, study front and back. You know, they told me in seminary to use three points, and so I thought, well, three times three, that's three times as good, nine points. The people with ADHD are sweating it already, like, how am I going to make it through this? But uh, what I wanted to do, and just using verses 12 and 13 this morning, because 14 has such an important issue, not under law but under grace, that really covers a gigantic problem. issue in in the New Testament. We're going to deal with that separately. It's also a bridge verse going from 1 through 13 and carrying into the next section. So we're going to treat it by itself. So verses 12 and 13, and as you'll see, I I want to explore basically every little part of that. So we'll have really a, a good understanding, hopefully, of what Paul is saying here. Now, I've mentioned before, I worked one summer in a construction firm that laid the foundation for the Civic Center in Birmingham, Alabama. Now, for a typical hole, uh, a dirt drill would drill it down until it hit rock, and then they would put a steel casing in, and then I would go to work with a shovel, a jackhammer, a drill, and dynamite, and bring it down to bedrock, solid bedrock, where I'd drill a 10-foot test hole. Then they put rebar in, fill it up with concrete, voila, another piling for the foundation. And there were scores of these, and they worked for months putting down this foundation of the Civic Center in Birmingham. And can you imagine putting up the Civic Center or, say, a new 50-story building in Fort Worth without laying a foundation? Uh, There's never been a building, let's say, on this pad, and so they just make it level with a bulldozer and start building straight on it. In a couple of weeks, you know, Harry's looking at Mo, and he says, Mo, is in my imagination is that thing leaning a little bit, you know. And then it rains and the side of it starts sinking and the thing's going to fall over even before it gets started. If you're going to put a 50-story building up, 
everything must change about that site, right? Everything must change about that site if a building's going to go up and stay up. And it's that way with us in Christ. If the Lord had forgiven us and then said, you're on your own now, obedience would have fallen to the ground immediately. We wouldn't have put up half a staircase in obedience. We, when God makes a Christian, he builds something wonderful and significant and permanent. And so he puts our whole life in a completely different situation as we've studied up to this point in Romans chapter 6. In a sense, we could say he puts us on a whole new foundation. With this difference, this foundation is a living foundation, Jesus Christ. And he not only supports us, but he gives us his life. It's organic, and we're united to him. And so with this living connection, we're supported and receive life uh, upon this foundation. And Paul mentions here uh, baptism, uh, the only time in Romans, and this is his shorthand for the whole faith conversion baptism uh, process. And through faith, we've learned that we're joined to Christ, and when we're joined to Christ, we're joined to everything he accomplished. So I'm joined to his person, I'm joined to his work. So, he suffered punishment for my sin, My sins have been fully punished in him. He stands in the fullest favor of God. In him, I stand in the fullest favor of God. He died to the dominion of sin and death. In him, I've died to the dominion of sin and death. He left the ownership of sin. In him, I've left the ownership of sin. He rose to a new life to uh, live to God, as Paul says. And in him, we have risen to a new life that we live to God. And so being joined to Christ, it's the heart of salvation. And in one sense, it's the whole of salvation. Because in being joined to Christ, I have everything in Christ. And so salvation as we've seen, is this full union in Christ whereby I have been taken out of that condition of sin and condemnation and judgment and death and I have been brought into a new condition, righteousness, grace, favor, eternal life. So, with that background, let's dig in now to these commands that he gives us, this is built upon the, the statements that he's made of what has happened to us. Given everything that I just summarized, of being moved from this condition to this condition, it's on the heels of that and under the foundation of that that he says then, in verse 12, do not let sin, therefore, therefore, don't let sin reign in your life. Now, in this very section that John read in verses 12 through 14, there's a promise and a command. The promise you get in verse 14. Sin will not have dominion over you. And then you're given a command built on that promise. Do not let sin uh, rule over you. Now, without the promise, the command would be pointless. 
It'd be like telling a slave in his slavery, don't act like a slave. And, well, that would be ridiculous. You'd be making a mockery of his condition. If he's still in slavery, he'd say, well, don't act like a slave. He says, well, that's what I am. I'm in, uh, I'm in slavery. But if he's set free, then you can say to him, don't act like a slave anymore. And that's the idea here. It does not say, Paul does not say, sin reigns over you, don't let it reign. Because then you'd say, well, yeah, too bad, sin is reigning over me, okay? But no, sin is not reigning over you, don't allow it to do so. So this promise makes the command to have sense. It, It gives incentive and motivation to the command not to let sin reign over you. It gives you hope, it gives you encouragement. This is something that can take place progressively in my life because sin is not my Lord any longer. And so let's look at that, the, that word reign. Uh, second point then, do not let sin reign in your life. This is the same uh, root, that has the same root of the word by which we get king, in, uh, translated king in the New Testament. And so sin is personified here as a a powerful ruler. So it means basically don't let sin be your king. We could say in this case, don't let it be your tyrant, right? We need to think of it this way. Don't put yourself under sin's oppression. When Germany, uh, when East Germany was communist, people weren't risking their lives to get into East Germany under communism, were they? They were risking their lives to get to freedom. Nobody was willingly putting themselves back under oppression. And that's the idea here. You've been moved from East Germany to West Germany. Don't run back. Don't, Don't give yourself under that terrible oppression. Don't put yourself under sin anymore. And the idea here is that we've been transferred in union with Christ. We've been transferred to the dominion of Christ, into his lordship, into the sphere of his care and protection. How glorious. His nurture and strength is ours now. It's a transfer of lordship because we are not autonomous human beings. We think we are, but we're not. And so we're going to be either under the lordship of sin or the lordship of Christ as a way of life. We always participate in a definite world of ownership and we stand under lordship, whether sin or of Christ. That's who we are as human beings. And so having been transferred to this new lordship, don't give yourself to your old Lord. Don't let sin get its hands on you. Don't allow sin to molest and abuse you. Don't give in to sin's lies. Don't put yourself in sin's grip. So the basic orientation is this. How do I remain under the rule of my precious Lord Jesus in every situation? in every tragedy and difficulty. I belong to Him. I'm under the sphere of His power. How do I manifest this new Lordship in my life? That's what we are. We get to live out our belonging to Jesus Christ. And I want to just give you one application I think is critical in this way, in this light. This is where daily meditation in the Word is so vitally important for us. I've given you the verses, Psalm 139, at the end of that psalm that talks about how God knew me in my mother's womb. You remember that? And so 
appropriate, of course, that he says then at the end to this God that knows him and knew him in his mother's womb, search me, O God. Know my heart, try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a prayer basically that sin not have a hold on his life. Basically that sin would not reign in him. Okay, That's the, that's the fundamental prayer here. And it's God's word that reveals sin to us. It's God's word that shines into our heart. As the psalmist says, I've stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. It's, it has a direct bearing on my sin. It helps me rid myself of sin, this word that I store up in my heart. And Paul gives us the working of the word in Hebrews 4 there. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so the Word is God's effective MRI, right? His EKG, your annual checkup to do blood work. Well, God's Word does uh, heart work and motive work and affection work. It gets into the real you. It begins to pull things apart and you see what you are in the light of the glory of God in the light of other people's lives revealed there in Scripture. And so it checks out your deepest desire, but the great news is it not only reveals your sin, it heals your sin, okay? It not only exposes your sin, it helps you, it equips you to dispose of your sin. It is a medicine. It renews your vision and strengthens your resolve. It plants new desires into your heart. It shakes you loose from destructive thinking. It reveals to you the grace and power and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and fixes your affections more and more on Him and less and less on Christ. So, to say do not let sin reign in your heart and to ignore God's Word is just to fly in the face of that and say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to let, I'm not going to obey that. I'm just going to let sin reign. We must, we must give ourselves to this nourishing, life-changing word if we're going to take seriously this command. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Jesus in John 8, I've got that there. Uh, notice he says, There, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So there you have the lordship of sin in our life. And he says in verse 36, if the son sets you free, you will be free. So here's the son entering into the lordship of sin, setting you free, and he becomes your new lord. But look how he does it earlier in the passage. He says, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples, and you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. So in one sense, he says, the sun sets you free. In another, he says, the truth sets you free. You can't pull those apart. It is the sun using his truth that sets you free from sin and enables you not to walk in that slavery, but to walk under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So we can't acknowledge the lordship of Christ unless we acknowledge the word of Christ that he's spoken to us and entrust ourselves to him by entrusting ourselves to that word. So do not let sin reign means that we must be abiding in the word of Christ that sets us free from the reign of sin. Okay? So, the promise 
It issues the command. Don't let sin reign. But then he says this, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. What does he mean by that? Uh, now, let's talk about body and, and the word members that comes uh, later in verse 13. Don't present your members to sin. Uh, he does not mean by this ju- your physical body, and therefore the members become just the different parts of your body, like your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hand, your feet. So don't let it rain in your body and give up the different parts of your body to him. Uh, the, the, the word body has a much wider meaning. It means the whole person. It means your whole physical existence. In some ways, it may emphasize the body as the means by which you communicate with others and the way you interact with each other, but it means your whole self. And you'll notice in the next verse when he says, don't present your members, then the next phrase, but present yourselves. Well, that's your whole self. Present your whole self to God. And so members is basically emphasizing the different capacity you have as a human being, the different capabilities you have as a human being, the different areas of your life. One translated it, what you are and what you do, or another, all aspects of your human life. You can see the interchange of this uh, terminology in the next chapter because in verse 23, he talks about sin dwelling in my members, but in verses 17 and 20, sin dwells in me. So me or my members, members simply means every part of you that makes up you, okay? So don't let sin reign in any part of my life Don't let sin uh, have any part of me. Don't give up any territory of self to him. Don't hand your life over to sin. Don't hand any part of your life over to sin. I think I've told you this before, but uh, a good friend, of course, at this moment, he was not being a good friend, but he didn't realize what he was doing. But I had one of my friends in college who we had met in the 10th grade and rooming together with a bunch of other guys in an apartment. And uh, his name was Randy, and Randy uh, was a, a jokester, prankster, you know. Uh, I saw him jump out of a trunk and half scare Aaron Fleming, who's also a PCA pastor, uh, half to death. I thought Aaron was never going to recover. This was late at night, and he was going to open up his trunk to get something, and Randy came out, you know, and scared him. Uh, and Aaron was real scarable, so it was really funny, but it almost killed him, I think. And Randy's a PCA pastor, so this is what you this is the stuff we're made of, okay? So so Randy comes up to me and he says, Darwin, I want you to close your eyes and open your mouth. And I said, Randy, I would rather shoot myself than do that. And so sure enough, he said, You sure you won't do it? I said, No way would I ever do that before you. And so then he pulls out a Brazil nut to which I am deathly allergic. And he knew that. I said, what were you thinking? He said, I just wanted to see what would happen. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've never gotten but a little bit of Brazil nut, and it's, you know, I had to have a shot within the hour. I just cannot, not, can't even breathe, you know. I don't know what would have happened if I gotten a whole nut in my system. Uh, I probably wouldn't be standing before you this morning. Uh, but... 
The thing is, I wouldn't entrust myself in that situation. And that's the idea here, you see. Don't let sin reign in any part of your life. Don't put yourself, and I don't think Randy was malicious, but I'll say this. Don't put yourself in the malicious hands of sin. What do you think it's out to do? Just think about it. What do you think the objective of sin is for you to give yourself to it? What do I think? Like it's got good intentions for me? Like it hopes to give me a good life and it really intends to give me a good life? It intends to draw me after God and show me the beauty of Jesus Christ? No! To draw me away from all things good. To draw me away from giving my life to other people for their good. No! It's out for destruction. It's out to malign. It's out to abuse and molest. That's what sin is and does. And so we have to keep clear, you know, clear about this. I'm under a new lordship. Don't let this sin reign in your body. Don't put your members at the disposal of sin. Now, by mortal, he does purposely use this word mortal. It gives us the idea that our self has been liberated from sin and we're in a new situation under the lordship of Christ, but we still participate in the weakness and the suffering and the disintegration of this world. It's sobering. But it's the reality This word mortal, the Greek word is thanatos, and it it refers to the weakness of our present condition and the need of future resurrection. It's used that way a lot. Uh, For instance, later in Romans chapter 8, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that's listed there, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. You see, mortal, dying, weak bodies, he's going to give life to those bodies. So though we're in a new condition and a new relationship with Christ, we're in the, as you've heard many times theologians, we're in the now of that relationship, but the not yet of the fulfillment of it and the final release of my body. As Paul says later in Romans 8, we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. He even calls it our adoption. You think, I thought I've already been adopted. Well, yes, but the full manifestation of that adoption The full flowering of your adoption uh, occurs then. We're waiting for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So mortal here is that reminder of my weakness, which should cause us all the more to be dependent upon Christ, to be dependent upon our union with Him and His resurrection. You see the other passages there that talk about the mortal being swallowed up by life or the mortal putting on immortality. So until that time, we're subject to frailty and injury and disease and aging and death. Uh, And so this is our mortal, this is our form of existence. And in this form of existence, obviously, sin is always at hand. We're not free from a world of sin. Though we're free from its dominance, free from its lordship, we are vulnerable to the power of sin over our human weakness because we're in mortal bodies. But that gives us confidence in our new relationship with Christ, but a constant reminder of who we are. And we must cling to Him and stand strong in Him. He says not to obey its desires. 
These desires, not just physical, but desires to, as Douglas Moo says, to have our own way, the desire to possess what other people have, as Paul talks about in chapter 7, or the desire to have dominance over others. So desires of any kind that are, uh, that are in us, that, that we have, don't let these desires reign over us. These, he means by this those desires of self that are in rebellion against God. Don't let those desires rule. And because we are mortal, because we have various needs of, you know, emotional, intellectual, social, uh, and physical, those needs can turn into desires that really rule us, that we become, we become slaves of these desires. And so many times when our needs are not met, we seek all kind of ways to get what we want outside of Christ, outside of God. That's our temptation because we're such needy people. We're so weak in our mortal bodies. And so we find ways to use the stuff and culture around us wrongly or ways to cope or navigate our situation or stay afloat emotionally and socially. But these are ways to use other people perhaps, or use things, ways to get and keep significance, ways to protect ourselves, ways to manipulate people, to neglect and hurt people. This stuff just pours out of us. But by God's grace, because we are alive from the dead, as he says here, we cannot let sin. We have the capacity not to let sin reign over us and not to give in to these desires to obey them. And what's interesting about desire, and this helped me uh, actually read this in Calvin, sin is made the Lord, okay? Don't obey, don't let sin reign. But then he uses desire as like the command of sin almost. Don't obey its passions. So sin dictates a desire, so to speak, and it, this desire or passion is like sin's command, sin's order. Turn your back upon God. Disobey Him. Disregard Him. Dishonor Him. Disinherit Him. Leave Him. Don't pay any attention to Him. So desire is the command of sin. That helps me. Helps me to see the nature of that. To realize I'm not to obey that desire. And desires really are to be disobeyed. And sometimes you feel like you're tearing yourself apart. That's why putting sin to death feels sometimes like you're putting yourself to death. And in a sense, you are. Christ causes. He talks about uh, putting the seed in the ground and it dying and fruit, you know, it bearing fruit. And that's what happens with us, that we have to ignore and refuse these things. And let me urge you to remember, nobody else does this for you. And in one sense, God's not going to do it for you. He gives you the capacity. He gives you grace. He gives you spirit. But then he commands you, you don't let sin reign. You don't obey those desires. And hopefully that can kind of break you loose to say, I've got to do this by his grace. He's given me a new life. I can live out that new life. I don't need to be hesitant. You know, I don't need to be, oh, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I... No, He commands you and He gives you grace. Go after it. Run, wrestle, fight. You know, that, that's a, it's a powerful command. Do not let it reign. And then notice how He calls these uh, members. Don't present them as instruments. Don't present them as instruments 
he says, for unrighteousness, but present them to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, it's possible that the word instruments could be like tools that a slave would use for his master because he talks a lot about that relationship in the rest of the chapter. But most commentators lean toward uh, it not just being an implement, but specifically an implement of war or a weapon. Uh, I meant to have these texts in, but uh, that's the way Paul translates it in every other place he uses it. Romans 13, 12, it's actually called the armor. It's used for the word armor of light. Or in 2 Corinthians 6, weapons of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, weapons of our warfare. And then in John 18, it's actually specifically a physical weapon that it's mentioned. And so our natural capacities, our natural abilities are viewed here as weapons that we're not to offer in the service of the tyrant of sin carries some weight, doesn't it? Putting weapons. You know, it's it's one thing for an enemy to capture a whole host of the weaponry. And as I've been reading about World War II, and when they defeat, uh, you know, a a nation or or win in a warfare, all the weaponry that's gained at that point and the the added strength that they have. And it's like, don't give your strength. Don't put weapons in the hands of the enemy. That's treason. That's, That's destructive. Don't put them in the hands of that master from whom you've been freed. John Murray quotes an older writer, uh, Lightfoot, who says this, Sin is regarded as a sovereign, okay, who demands the military service of his subjects and he levies their quota of arms. See, you're giving, you're, you're under this Lord and you're giving him your capabilities so that he gets to have them. And then he has this little phrase. He also gives them their soldiers pay, death. <laughs> the wages of sin is death. So I thought that was powerful. You know, that here's the Lord. He levies the weapons. The soldier gives them his weapons and he gets his pay in the end. And it's death. So don't lay your instruments, your weapons. And, and it shows also how... Um, effective, how important your capabilities are. They're going to do something, you know, something for bad, something for good. They're not going to be neutral. You can't be neutral in this world. You're important. You're significant. What you are is very important. You're in the image of God. As such a critical being in this world, don't put those capacities in the hands of sin, but put them in the hands of God. And here also it's important when he talks about righteousness, putting yourself under righteousness, uh, these instruments in the hands of righteousness. It means that righteousness is a power of God. Uh, In fact, later in verses 18 and 19, where he speaks of having become slaves of righteousness, later in verse 22 he says slaves of God. So righteousness and God are are synonymous. They're parallel. So righteousness is an aspect of God. It's His power to save us and transform us. It is God in action to bring about change in our lives. A power that exerts its force in our life. And so when you're you're told to put your instruments or weapons in the hands of righteousness... Obviously, righteousness is not under your control. You're putting yourself under the control of righteousness in that way. 
It's not in your power. You're putting yourself, giving yourself up to the power of God. And I love what uh, Ernst Kaysman wrote on this. So important. He says, righteousness is the power of God. It's come on in the scene of Christ. He has given bodily, the bodily resurrection of Christ has imparted a life to us to make known that power in our life. And so really, when you say, give your life to righteousness, you're in a sense saying, give your life up to the new resurrection life, the new power of God to transform you. And of course, it issues in the the practical righteousness of your life. But it means you're going to be a weapon under the influence and power and working of God's righteousness in this world. That's exciting. Think that you could be a tool in the ongoing righteousness of God to transform this world. Don't put your life under the power of sin, but under the power of righteousness. And when he says present here, let me just touch on this. When he says present, it's not passive, just to put it there, but it means to give yourself in service to someone, you see. And so if you're not actively in service to God, the only alternative is you must not be in service and you must be in service to something else. It's like that sin of omission. Don't leave off what must be done. You must give yourself up to the righteousness of God. To say, I'm at your disposal. All I am is dedicated to your service. To hand yourself over to God. Give Him constantly decisive control of your life. Make the donation of yourself to God. And that's not a one-time thing. That's a constant thing that we must do. And one commentator says it's like putting ourselves before the throne of God and just making ourselves ready servants to do whatever He would have us to do. And just a word here too, one of the ways that you present yourself to God as His is in the midst of providential dealings that are outside of your control. Some of them very difficult, very hard. But at that point, you know you're under the sovereign hand of God. And so in that difficult situation, you give yourself up into His hands. You give yourself up to His will. At that point, you realize, this is my calling to live out in this situation the love of Christ, to love others, to love Him, to honor Him, to live out His will, to manifest His Lordship in my life in what now is one of the most difficult things I've ever faced. That's part of presenting yourself before God, you see, being His instrument, even in uh, hard circumstances. <clears throat> so it's, it's much like what Paul says in Colossians 3.17, whatever you... Uh, Whatever you do, uh, I think he has another phrase right there in verse 17. Whatever you do, yeah. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. And in closing, the last two, you're glad to hear that word, but um, in closing, verse 8, uh, number 8 here, <clears throat> that little phrase and, and all, remember, everything he says is important. Everything he says is specific. It's there for a reason. And he says, present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. Okay? It, it basically, there's kind of a causal sense. Present yourselves to God since you are alive from the dead. 
There's the, there's the feel of it. Give yourself up because you're alive from the dead. What else would you do? What else is there to do? You're alive from the dead. Give yourself up to God. You are resurrected into the service of God. How glorious. Resurrected into the service of God. You are his workmanship, Paul says in Ephesians 2.10. I love so many of his, uh, you might be a redneck of Jeff Foxworthy, but one of them is, you might be a redneck if you're mowing your front yard and you find your car. Okay, <laughs> And we've all been on those country roads and seen a car or maybe several in somebody's kind of extensive little yard area. <clears throat> and uh, we've had some cars we could have put out there, too, in the past. But um, imagine that car rusted out on blocks. Its engine is locked up. Uh, the seats are gone. And that car is taken and it's refurbished, it's given a new engine, new brakes, new insides and out, new seats, new, new uh, tires. It's filled with uh, oil and gas. It's ready to go. It's been resurrected. Drive it. Drive it. Take it out on the road. Go on a trip on it. Do something with it. This is you and this is me. You're not that anymore. You've been resurrected to a life in which you can give yourself up to his service. Since you are alive from the dead, give all that you are, all of your members, give them up to him. And how can we end without saying, here's the chief motivation. Here's the whole reason how Paul puts it in Galatians 2 when he says, The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, which basically means under the lordship of the resurrected Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's the heart of it. There's the me. That's the motivation. I give myself. I'm living by faith in the Son of God. I'm living under his new lordship because he loved me and gave himself for me. And that's why in this passage I've got there, it's the love of Christ that governs us. It's the love of Christ that sets me free. It's the love of Christ that renews and transforms my affections so that, as he says here, so that you would no longer live for yourself but for him. And by nature, I've drawn a little tiny circle that barely gets outside of my feet. <laughs> and I'm committed to that circle. It's me. And everything, though I may do stuff for some people here, there, and the other, fundamentally, basically, that describes my life. And the only way I'll ever break out of that circle, the only way I'll ever be anything different than that, and will truly spend my life from the heart for God and others, is when Jesus Christ sets me free through His death and resurrection. Otherwise, I will be a servant of sin and self and not a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you, will, us, will, will all of us give ourselves up to this gracious Lord Jesus Christ? Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that this is not an empty command to us not to let sin reign. We thank you it is not an empty command to present, not to present our, our members Uh, to sin, not 
to, to give ourselves up to God, to give our members, all of our capacities, all aspects of our life into the Lordship of Jesus Christ because we are alive from the dead. And as he says next, for sin will not rule over you. Thank you, Lord, for setting us free. May we live it out. May we immerse ourselves in the life-giving, slave-liberating Word of God. And Lord, manifest the new resurrected life that we have of service to Jesus Christ and no longer self in sin. Give us that grace, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night and chase my fears away won't you chase my fears away